0: The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab episode number 611, for Sunday, June 26th, 2016. Ah! Ah! Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. The show where you send in questions, tips, and cool stuff found. We answer your questions, we share your tips, and we hoard up your cool stuff found into a pile that's so big, I don't know how we're going to get through it when we do it, but we're not doing that today because we want to hoard it up into an even bigger pile, probably for when I return from my vacation uh, after two weeks. That way I don't have to prep a show in like four hours. The goal, regardless is for all of us, myself included, to learn at least three new things each and every time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include Power Photos from Fat Cat Software, where coupon code MGG saves you 20%. Geek, which you can download from the App Store, and coupon code in there, MGG, saves you 20 bucks. Squarespace at squarespace.com, where, yep, coupon code MGG gets you 10% off and Atlassian at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Makers of Bitbucket, Jira, HipChat, Confluence, and more. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. John, as I mentioned, um, so our Mac schedule is going to be a little bit weird for the next couple of weeks because I am uh, traveling to Europe with my family. We're taking the kids and doing two weeks kind of bouncing around. Uh we're going to be in London, Paris and Barcelona. And uh so we're going to record the next Mac Geek Gab 612. We're actually going to record that on Thursday, but we'll probably hold it and release it normally on on Sunday uh just to maintain some semblance of schedule. And I think That also on Thursday, we will record a second episode that we will release on the 10th in the middle of that uh, trip while I'm gone. And then we'll do a big Cool Stuff Found episode when I get back. That's, That's the plan. But I wanted to tell everyone while I'm gone, there were many of you, especially in and around the London area, that asked if maybe I might be able to carve out some time away from my family to meet. And I would love to do that. So I have actually planned something it uh, will be for the evening of July the, the 5th, or as we will say over there, 5th of July. And it is going to be, I, I'm scheduling it for 6.30 PM at a pub called the Salt House, which is not too far from where we're staying, which is also not too far from Abbey Road Studios, if that helps kind of frame it in in your mind's location wise. Uh, I think that's also pretty close to the zoo. Um, if if uh, If I'm understanding things. So, uh, I put an event on Facebook, I tweeted it out, but if you are at all interested in coming, please RSVP there because I want to kind of get an idea of how many people might show up and also that will, uh, that'll attach you to the event in, in the event that there is a change to either the timing or even the location, if we get there and I take a look at this place and it's like, oh, maybe this isn't the right place, then, you know, there we go. So just wanted to put that out there because I would love to see as many of you as we can while I'm there. So uh, that's all I got as far as logistics here. Should we uh, should we dive right in and, and hear what David has to say?
1: Mr. Yeah, just Braun. be careful when you are over there. Yeah, they've fallen into chaos now, at least in the. Well, right? what's interesting is the day before that meetup will be uh,
0: U.S. Independence Day, and now uh, perhaps they have an Independence Day of their own. Uh, I don't know. It's yeah, it's a little bit messy over there, but the, but I think we'll be okay. I think it'll all be good. So, all right. Moving on to David. I hope it's all good. I hope uh, it sorts out okay for everybody that uh, that lives there and will live there long term and has to um, has to kind of absorb the impact of these changes or not changes or whatever is going to happen. So, my best my best wishes to all of you. And now. Rewinding a little bit to show 610, David writes, we were talking about dynamic compression uh, on the iPhone and different ways of accomplishing that so that you can limit the dynamic range that is the perceived loudness of a piece of music. Classical music is a great example. You want the low parts at times, perhaps, not to be so low, and the loud parts to not be so loud, so that you can hear it if you're, if a lot of background noise or things like that. David writes, You might not be aware that iPhones and even iPods have dynamic range compression built into their audio chips. The problem is that there is no way to access it. However, in recent iOS updates, Apple added an EQ setting called Late Night. This enables the onboard compression i use it for when i'm in a noisy environment like the new york city subway to help keep the levels even so this is sort of a hidden little gem because this late night setting appears like all the other eq settings do but it is uh, and i and i believe david's right here it's the only one that triggers this onboard dynamic compression on the chip so uh so if you just turn on late night it 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 compresses the audio. That's the whole point. And in fact, you're, if you have a TV that has a late night mode, it does the same thing. It compresses it so that the loud parts don't get so bombastically loud that they wake up everybody in the house. That's what this does. So, uh, thank you so much, David. I had totally forgotten about that. Great, great stuff. Anything to add there, Mr. Mr. Braun?
1: No, I'm not very dynamic. Okay. That's
0: right. <laughs> All right. Uh and Giles writes in, he says, uh again from MacGeek six ten, we were we were talking about uh Time Machine. He says uh pondini.org. P o n d i n i dot o r g is a useful resource for everything time machine related. Unfortunately, it hasn't been updated for several years, but the wealth of information there is useful nonetheless as a first line of defense when troubleshooting time machine problems. So, thank you for that. That I, you're right about Pondini being a uh, a great resource. There's many articles, and and your Google searches will likely uh, likely find you there. So. Good, good stuff. Um, And then, and then, he also says regarding Time Machine, I'm sure you know this, but the latest version of Disk Warrior is also capable of repairing Time Machine volume directories now. It takes an age, but given that any problems on your hard drive seem to get compounded with every backup, I have yet to run it and not find problems with my Time Machine problem, with my Time Machine volume, rather. I now run it every three months or so, and hopefully this will reduce the overall flakiness of Time Machine that John bemoans since time machine is not the startup drive. You can run disc warrior direct from your applications utilities folder, rather than having to boot into recovery mode and run it from USB. So very, very cool. Uh, I, you know, I did not know that the latest version of disc warrior repaired time machine volumes, but I think doing that every three months is a splendid
1: idea. Very cool. Did you know this, John? No, I didn't. I just had to, uh, recreate mine. Yet again, ah, there you go. You know, it only seems to be my my wired one seems to be fine. Yep. But I think there's just some wonkiness that we've observed in the past where my wireless, because uh, my MacBook does it wirelessly, right? But, uh, every few months, it just it throws up that red flag saying, "Up, oh, I I don't like this. Want to make a new one?" And I'm like, yeah, "All right, <laughs> yeah, yeah." It happens. Yeah, I don't. I,
0: I deal with it too. I don't even think about it anymore. It's just like, oh, needs to recreate one. Yeah, go ahead. No problem. Just do what you got to do. All right. Now a question, John. Um, we in the in the process of preparing this, we both kind of passed things back and forth. But do you want to take Thomas's question here?
1: Sure, we can take it. then I'll hand. We'll hand it back and forth. All right. You want me to read it, or you want to read it? Dave and John, I've got an interesting challenge. I belong to a weekly mountain hiking group of 90 folks. Folks? Um, We have nine hike leaders. There is an email address list that is loosely maintained in Microsoft Outlook and Mac Contacts on multiple devices. The address list does not sync, so multiple versions exist and errors are abundant. Various hike leaders use whatever email list they have to send out weekly hike details. I volunteered to fix this. Oh, boy. That's your first mistake. <laughs> right. All right.
0: Yeah, but he's, he's come to the right place, John. I feel like we can help him.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yes. So um, the ideal solution would be a synced online address book that can be accessed by the nine hike leaders to edit the list and access the 90 email addresses. Emails are sent from Macs and PCs using various email clients such as Apple Mail, Outlook Mail, Hotmail, Gmail, etc., Address list changes occur several times per month and come in sporadically to all the hike leaders. One hike leader attempts to do an annual email list scrub, but that list doesn't always get adopted by all nine hike leaders. A synced online solution would be ideal, especially one that can be easily imported into Outlook and Apple Mail. I've searched online and haven't found an ideal solution. I've looked at Kylok, K-Y-L-O-O-K, never heard of it, uh, Full Contact and Plaxo. I hope you have some ideas. And yes, we do. Uh, Why don't we start with your idea, Dave? Um, Yeah. Okay. So the idea is that
0: we need to, well, we need to find some service that will do this. And, you know, the thing that comes to mind, obviously there's going to be, as you found, a wealth of services that might cost money to do this, but iOS and the Mac and all of Apple devices will sync contacts to Google. And you can actually have multiple Google accounts configured on your device and in contacts. So what I'm thinking is why not create a single Google account, just a Gmail account is all it needs to be, and have everyone sign into that account Only sync this group of contacts with that account. And then that way it's synced. Everybody's got it. It'll be just like you would do it if you had, you know, this Google account only on your own devices, but instead of being on your own, it's going to be on your, um, you know, it's going to be a shared account. I think it should work. That's, that's my thought free, easy. I, I, I can't, think of a problem with this but <laughs> but that's I also haven't done it so you know maybe
1: maybe so I'm going to offer two things Dave okay one if you want to survey what you're already using to see if they support contacts at all so this is one place you would start so if you go to system preferences internet accounts you're going to see a list of all your internet-related accounts. Uh, and when you click on many of them, you're going to see the various services that are available from that provider. And I'm just going to... For example, in my case, so I have iCloud. And if you and then if you look on the checklist, you'll see the various services that it offers. So for example, iCloud offers a contact service because there's a little checkbox next to contacts. Now I also have... As was mentioned here, so I also have Exchange that seems to offer a contact service. Uh, Google, as you mentioned, yeah. also I, I'm not using it, but I see a checkbox on contacts. Yahoo, oh sure. as well. Although yeah. I use them for email, so a lot of so a lot of people that you're already using, probably mostly for email. You may want to consider them and uh, as a repository for your contacts. Like here, I'm looking AOL. Same thing. They seem to offer. Yeah, I still have an AOL email address, actually, a Same. couple of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, heck, even LinkedIn seems to have a contact, so I, I don't think I'd, I'd use them. Or heck, even Facebook.
0: Well, LinkedIn is different, so, though, because that's a – and so is Facebook. So I, so at least two of those are one-way syncs. It's just down to your Mac. It, it You're not syncing back up. I would assume Yahoo is a two-way sync. I don't know about AOL. Google is definitely a two-way sync. So you want to experiment and, and find the right one um,
1: for you. Yeah. Yeah, and most of these, um, you know, are free. Uh, though, if you want to get advanced functionality, you probably have to throw them a few bucks here. And speaking that, of throw some throwing, I'm sorry.
0: I was going to say with Google, if you're doing just the shared Gmail account, you don't need to throw them any money. It's all. All covered. I mean, you know, they'll they'll, um, they'll advertise to you, but that's what
1: that's their model. So yeah, right now here's the other thing that I would look at, um, and I suggested. So um, you can do this with OS 10, but not the regular OS 10. But Apple has this dandy product called OS 10 Server. And within OS 10 Server, among all the features, so OS 10 Server really what it's doing it uh, I, I would say in a nutshell, it provides you a very nice GUI to services that are already buried within OS 10. And you could probably enable and hack and cobble something together sure. without buying OS 10 Server. But to make your life easier, just just you know, it's twenty bucks. If you're part of the developer program, then you, you get it for free. though I would say that doing it that way may not be entirely legal (laughs) or according to the license agreement. Sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, But it's 20 bucks. Um, And they do offer um, contacts management as one of the features that you can enable. I just looked at it and, and verified it um yeah of course it runs a caldav it, server yeah it, it supports what's called card
0: oh sorry card dev server you're you're right yeah yeah caldav is for calendars which which right. os 10 server also supports or mac os server i guess we call that now but uh, uh yeah.
1: soon, we soon will call it that soon that's right yes yeah, soon um but now it's still called os 10 server 20 bucks has a uh, contacts uh, it supports standards including CardDAV and v card which are pretty much standards for handling contact information um and i even included in my reply a, a link to the page here and it has a uh, online you can get the help you know we'll, we'll link to that and it says uh, oh here's how to set up the contact service um And it describes the features, um, you know, including clients that can access it. Um, I I would give that a look uh, because OS X server also provides, you know, a way to uh, manage accounts, user accounts. So you could, uh, it provides a way to, uh, at least with Apple products, to provide a gateway into, uh, you know, a way to get into the network and to the server so you can either uh, administer or do other things. So, um, I would give that a, a you know, you. You're, I would look at all the things that we suggested. Um, you know, Google. Um, hey, it's free. Uh, if you want, if you want control of the server and you want the, you know, the confidence that you're managing it, then uh, OS Ten server may be for you.
0: Yeah, yeah. That, that Yeah, it it's gonna. But you're creating a scenario where you have to manage a server. So just bear that in mind. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it has its pluses and minuses. Yeah, of course.
0: Cool. All right. Sam. Sam asks, where are we here, Sam? I currently have two Apple IDs and I have a question related to family sharing. My iCloud uh, Apple ID is the one that I use for iMessage, iCloud, my iCloud account for calendars and all of that, mail, etc. And then I have a Gmail-based Apple ID that I only use for my purchases on iTunes, iBooks, and the App Store. Um, this is, I found an article at TMO that helped me set up my family sharing account correctly. So now the administrator is my mac.com account, and the one that I'm sharing my purchases with is the Gmail account. And Apple absolutely lets you do this. In fact, we'll put a link to, uh, to that TMO article in the show notes. So there's that. He says, but my question is, I signed up for the Apple Music family membership with my Gmail account. How can I now share it with the rest of my family? Do I need to invite myself, the Gmail account, to my family sharing account and share it that way? Or should I have purchased the Apple Music membership with my Mac.com account? Uh, Having this set up with two IDs makes this a little bit confusing. So I think... Um, if your Gmail account is the one that you use in iTunes, all that it would that all of that would just naturally share with your family. It it should because it's the one that's linked to your purchases of your family share account, and um, and and so the good news is Sam, it wasn't working that way. But Sam logged out of his i his Apple Music account in iTunes and then logged back in. And that seemed to open this up for his family, at which point he says, my wife has a similar setup with the iCloud and Gmail accounts. Should I then send out invites to her Gmail or to her iCloud account? I would think her Gmail address, he says, because that's also where she makes her purchases. I don't think so. Again, your wife is going to, when she joins the family, she is going to link her two accounts together too, right? And, and I went through this because I, I don't have two accounts for, for me personally, but my wife did. She had exactly the same setup. She had one uh, that was her Mac account, Mac.com account or iCloud account that did all of her contacts and calendars and mail and all of that. And then she had a separate one for the iTunes stores. When she joined our family account, it asked her the same questions you got asked, which is, you know, which account, is it the same account that you want to use? She signed up with her Mac.com account, or iCloud account, I should say. You can't use them as Mac.com anymore unless you haven't stopped, essentially. Um, but uh, she used her iCloud account for that, and then it asked her to link this other separate account in as her purchases account. So when I added her to our Apple Music, I added her iCloud account because that's the one that is attached to the family And it just trickled down for her and it works totally fine. So it gets a little confusing, but the good news is these are problems that Apple thought of and has solved. You just need to kind of walk the path the right way. So link everything with your iCloud accounts and then link your purchases, link the iCloud accounts to your family account and then link your purchased accounts to your iCloud accounts when you join the family and that should take care of it. And Apple, like I said, the process of joining the family is smart enough to ask you if you have a different account for purchases that you want to kind of tie all in together. So it actually works really, really well. Just gets a little confusing. It's confusing when you stop to think about it until you get in there and realize, Oh, Apple's already thought about it. Thank goodness. Because it is one of those things that sort of makes your brain hurt a little bit.
1: Right. Mr. Braun. I don't worry about this because I don't, I don't share. You don't share. That's right. I don't share with my family.
0: I, that's, uh, that's great. That's no, I, I share with my family. Of course you do.
1: Of course you do. I, I share my, my uh, Mac support acumen often with my parents remotely. Yeah. Oh, thank goodness for that. Thank yeah, goodness yeah. for remote access. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, we just don't speak the same language sometimes. No, you know, (laughs) I do know. I totally understand. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I totally get it. All right, John, you want to, uh,
1: you want to take us to Gary? I'm going to take us to Gary. Here's another one that we, uh, I would say we tag team on and, uh, we're bound to have a solution here. So let me see if I can, uh, I think I might want to condense this, um, all right, so Gary says, I looked around on the major music sites, including Amazon, on Walmart, for a particular uh, particular title, I think. Okay, I'm missing something here. That was a typo. For a particular title that has two songs I like, after listening to it again at an older age, I may like it more than the two I did when I was young. The album um, is Globe of Frogs by Robin Hitchcock. Okay. Never heard of that. I have to check it out. Unfortunately, as you know, Apple has eliminated optional uh, optical drives from all of their computers in the last few years. Apparently, Mr. Hitchcock or his record label fish shake at both parties. Now we're talking. One of those fish shakes. Uh, otherwise known as whining, right? Um, like your air conditioner it, does in the summertime.
0: We all yeah. get to hear it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I thought you filter that out. It's uh, compressor's <laughs> off right now. Uh, I could tell actually it was on when you were talking before
0: and I could hear the, uh, the the familiar whine of the compressor. Yes. Yeah. Cool
1: right now. But anyways, um, anyways, um, he's not able to get it digitally. So, um, I think we can boil this down though. So, so I think the thing is that he can get it on a CD The thing is, I think the computer in question that he has does not have a CD or an optical drive. Um, But there are other machines um, available to him, either a PC or, I think, uh, a computer that has uh, what Apple calls the the SuperDrive. So I think the questions... So he had a couple of questions. So I guess one is... uh, would he be able to take a machine that has a super drive, which uh, last I checked is a USB connection, right? Right. And could that be connected to his machine and and be used to import things? And I don't see any reason why not. And that was your reply, correct?
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah. And then I got an even cleverer -er answer here. Because I've done this. So this is a problem I'm I'm kind of in the middle of. Okay. So um, my trusty MacBook Pro 2012 does have an optical drive. But my Mac Mini 2014, which I upgraded from the 2012. So my 2012 did have an optical drive, but my Mac Mini 2014 does not. What do you do? What do you do? (laughs) Well, there's a dandy feature um, in OS 10, and I've actually used this in the past in another environment, actually, in a corporate environment. Um, you can share the optical drive from one machine with another machine. So I have a question, though. I, I thought that didn't work with audio files. Uh, and you know, I'm glad you brought that up because I'm going to tell you... Um, So actually Apple does have an article that talks about this. So one, let me, let me, let me finish this here. So if you go to sharing on a machine with an optical drive, you should see, uh, in the list of services, DVD or CD sharing. If you click on that and there's also an optional thing saying, ask me for, before allowing, okay, um, which you you may want to enable or not enable depending on your environment. um, Yeah. Your environment. Um, and then what's going to happen is that on other machines on the network, they should, you should see under devices, remote disk. And then if you click on that and there's any machine on the network that has sharing enabled, you should be able to access that disk. Now, here's uh-huh. the interesting, and I've done, I actually have done, so there, there is a, there's a number of ways you can do this. Now, the thing that I've actually done, Dave, which I thought was super cool, was when I was in a, in a corporate space and I had, uh, I was just experimenting, but I was actually able to access a PC's DVD CD drive from a Mac. Huh? Yeah. Because what you can do is you can actually, um, and so Apple has a, a, a swell support article call, called Use the CD or DVD Drive from another computer with your Mac. And that other computer can either be a Mac. Or a PC, isn't that awesome? That's awesome. So you have to get, um, so uh, on a Windows machine, you will have to install some additional software, which uh, it's called DVD or CD sharing setup. Now, what they do say is incompatible discs. Now, this is, and and you brought up a great question, Dave. The thing is, they list discs that are not compatible. Yeah. The thing is, I think they're lying. Really? Because, for example, they say here, incompatible discs, audio CDs. Oh, my, that's what he wants to use. The thing is, Dave, they also say that Blu-ray or DVD movies are, not comp- are incompatible. I can tell you for a fact that I have used Handbrake on one machine to access an optical disc on another machine, and it worked. Okay, So, so maybe, maybe they're saying with Apple software, you yeah. are not permitted to access certain discs. So it's worth a try. I mean, the worst that happens is it won't work. No, that's right.
0: Yeah. 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 I like it, man. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Cool. I, that that's, that works for me. Hey, uh, I want to talk about our first set of sponsors, John. If, if that, if, if we're done with this one. Cool. All right. You folks know that I go to a ton of concerts. I go to the theater all the time sometimes even go to sporting events, SeatGeek, our first sponsor here at SeatGeek.com. This is the place I go first when I'm looking for tickets for an event. And the reason is it's not just one market. SeatGeek looks at all the markets, including like the official ones and StubHub, and I mean, all they look at everything and pull it all together. And what's cool is they let you sort it, of course, by price or narrow down by section if that event is being sold that way. But they also let you sort by the deal. They show you what they think is a good deal based on what you're paying for which seats you're looking at. And it can really help. We're looking at going to Broadway to uh, see a play later in the year. And this was such a helpful thing, man, because I didn't have to look at 15 different websites. SeatGeek pulls it together and then you can buy right from there. And here's the thing. It gets even better. So the first thing you're going to do, it's an app, right? So go download the SeatGeek app from the iOS app store and uh, then go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. And enter the promo code MGG, you know where that comes from, and then SeatGeek will send you 20 bucks after you make your first ticket purchase. So if you want to be able to shop for tickets like me, go to the App Store, download the SeatGeek app, go to the Settings tab, click Add a Promo Code, enter promo code MGG, and they'll send you 20 bucks after you make your first order. Our thanks to SeatGeek for sponsoring this episode. I love Squarespace. And not just because they're our next sponsor here, but they are our next sponsor here. But that's not why I love them. I love Squarespace because they make it so easy to publish a website. Look, I have been doing this, um, we started TMO 18, almost 19 years ago, right? There was nothing like this. We had to handcraft every single bit of it. There was nothing, there was no CMS. There was no, there were some hosting companies. That That's about it. But they weren't automated. You had to, you know, you got a login for an FTP and maybe a web server was running. You had to know how to do everything from there. And that was considered like advanced. Not now. What's advanced is Squarespace. You don't have to learn anything anything other than what you want your website to look like. And they'll even help you with that, right? Because they've got templates there. You sort of pick what type of site you want to publish. And then Squarespace will show you the templates that match that. You pick the template, start putting it all together. Squarespace is outstanding at making this all work really well. They've got image libraries. They'll even support web commerce. So if you want to sell something, they make it really easy to do that. They set you up with a merchant account, but it's all through their system. I mean, you can be selling something on the web literally 15 minutes after you visit squarespace.com slash M-G-G. Just go, you create your site, you create your store, you link it to a merchant account that they manage for you, but it's yours, and then you're done. That's it. And... You use coupon code MGG to save 10% off your first order. Now here's the deal. Hosting plans start at just 8 bucks a month. 8 bucks. And that 8 bucks is before you get your 10% off with MGG. So visit squarespace.com/mgg and when you make your first order, coupon code MGG that'll save you 10%. If you sign up for a whole year, they'll even throw a free domain in on that. Our thanks to Squarespace for sponsoring this episode. Fun Okay, this is a great one. I, I like this. Jeff writes, he says, I use Charter Web Space for a small neighborhood website, and within the last few, non- few months, I've been unable to log in to update the site. With some troubleshooting, I've determined the issue is my Apple Airport time capsule. If I connect the Ethernet cable directly from my cable modem to my, Mac, to my iMac, I can update the page. If I connect the Ethernet cable directly from my cable modem to an airport express I had lying around and connect wirelessly, I can update the page. If I connect the Ethernet cable directly from my modem to my time capsule, my connection is blocked and I receive a timeout error using either Fetch or Cyberduck or any other FTP client. I've upgraded and downgraded the firmware on my time capsule. Currently, it is at version 777. I don't have any virus protection uh, or my Mac firewall on. I have tried downgrading the firmware to 773, but that didn't help either. I suspect there may be some ports I have to add under the network tab of airport utility, but so far I've been able, un, unable to get that to work either. I hate to have to unplug my router to plug directly into my computer every time. This also re- requires a restart of my modem as well. Any ideas? Yes. I think I know exactly what's going on. So here's the thing when your cable modem the, the the I'm glad you pointed out the the restart of your cable modem being required when you change devices your cable modem marries itself to the first device that it sees when it starts up and that's because your modem is provisioned to only give out one IP address right so once it has once it has done that now it doesn't, it doesn't give out the IP address, but it's programmed to only work with one device. And then that one device is allowed to, to talk upstream. It then gets an IP address from your cable company and all as well. So it's the modem that's limiting the amount of devices that can pass traffic through it. And yours, as most of ours in our homes, are set to limit to one. So here's the thing. What's happening is, you're, it, when any device connects to the modem if it's the first device after boot the modem lets it talk up to up to up to the uh, rest of the network rest of the internet and the first thing it does is it gets an ip address from the from in your case uh charter but from your isps uh, dhcp server dhcp servers are interesting little beasts in a good way Um, they usually maintain a lease time on those addresses of several days and it keeps getting renewed if the device is still online. What that means is if your power goes out, say, for a couple of hours and it comes back on, you'll very likely get the same IP address. But that IP address is married to the MAC address of the device. That's the hardware address of the device that's plugged in. Your, your iMac will get a different IP address from your Airport Extreme and that will get a different IP address from your time capsule. But unless you leave your time capsule unplugged for several days, and it might even be a week, I don't know how long Charter's lease time is, you will always get the same IP address when that device is plugged in. So even though you've moved to the iMac, the iMac gets a different IP, the, time ca- the uh, Airport Express gets a different IP. When you go and plug the time capsule back in later that same day, it gets its original IP address. And I think the FTP server is blocking the IP address that's associated with your time capsule. Perhaps you had a couple too many failed logins. Perhaps, you know, FTP servers are very insecure. FTP in general is a very insecure protocol. So if you are running an FTP server, you have to be uh, very, very proactive about security and that means setting very low limits tolerances if you will for um, behavior that could be like hacking so if you had a period of time where you, you tried to log into your account five times and it was you know you had the wrong password or whatever then it might just block your ip address for it could block it forever but it you know might be 24 hours it might be a week. Um, if it's, it, it, I, I can't imagine somebody would set it to a month. It's either going to be somewhere, you know, in the matter of hours or days or just unlimited that IP address is blocked. So that's my guess is that charter has blocked that IP in your, um, in your, in, in their FTP settings. Unfortunately, Apple's routers don't allow a whole lot of, uh, monkeying about one of the things that a lot of third party routers allow is the changing of that Mac address, that hardware address. And so you can sort of use that to force a new IP to come to you. You can't do that with Apple's routers. So you're going to need to call Charter and just say, hey, look, you know, I believe this IP address is blocked by your FTP server for your web space. And you're going to have to be pretty specific about that. And hopefully by being specific, you'll get shortcutted to the right tech department that can, you know, lift that block for you. So that's my theory on that, John, and I, I'm pretty sure i'm I, I feel good about it. I feel good about it. You got any thoughts?: I feel good about it too.:
1: Sweet. Yeah, you're right.'ve yeah, a lot of us don't run into this because we only have a single uh, router connected to our uh right cable modem. Uh, the other solution well. The solution would be to get your cable modem and router all built into one, but then that means you wouldn't be using your Apple products. But the same problem would like. happen.
0: It's still going to get the same IP address. Right. Right. Yeah. The, you know, a, a workaround would be to use a VPN because mm. that would then have you coming in under a different IP address, and that would actually be a, a great way to test. Although using a VPN, you're tunneling. <sighs> you know what I mean? It. It. I mean, it would. It would almost certainly bypass this problem, but it's not not really the best test to confirm without a shadow of a doubt that it's this. I think the best test is to call charter and ask him to remove your IP from the block list. And that will confirm <laughs> whether or not it, it's even there. So, mm-hmm. yeah. it's fun stuff. I like questions like this keeps, uh, took me a couple of tries, you know, sound, sounded like I came right up with the answer here, but, uh, took a couple of tries back and forth with, with Jeff just to, to sort this out but I'm now I'm now I'm pretty sure we've got it right. It's fun. It's fun. This is this is why we do what we do. We we like helping you and we like digging in and and really, you know, finding those magic little answers and sharing them so that when you run into these problems like, oh, wait a minute. I heard John and Dave talk about this. That's the point. That's why we do what we do. Are we ready to move on? Sure. Okay. Uh y- you know, I I do want to point something out while we're while we're at this uh, I've had actually several people in the last week uh, or two and and one of them was uh, one of the folks at Apple that works on the podcast team asked me and said, you know, you've got 11 years of episodes. So first of all, congratulations, which is like, great. I said, but that's a lot of material for a new listener to, to absorb. In fact, It's safe to say no one is going to go back and listen to, you know, 11 years of episodes. I said, yep, that's right. So he and then again, even some of you have suggested that we come up with a best of MGG. So uh, we've got some episodes in mind, but, you know, I'm trying to pick a list of maybe 20 episodes that would be indicative but some of our better material some of you know some of the things that highlights that stand out so I know you folks have some thoughts about this because you're the ones that are actually listening so if you have an idea about an episode that that would be a good candidate for this best of list then we might make actually a feed of, of just these best of episodes and, uh, and just give it you know to people for as folks kind of walk in the door what am I getting myself into okay well Here's, here's something that's representative of what you're going to get. So, anyway, just wanted to put that request out there. And, of course, you can send us your information to, uh, or your requests to feedback at MacGeekCab.com.
1: Um, you know, I got the AC going here. I'm, I'm not hey. sure if I heard you, Dave. I think you said feedback at MacGeekab.com.
0: No, 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 no. I, I said feedback at Unless ah. unless – you're a premium listener, in which case you can email us at premium at Mac Or if off the top of your head, you know, which episode it is, you don't have to email us. You just tell us the number by leaving us a voicemail at 224-888 geek. John and geek is 4335. Here's a trick. You don't have to call that number. You can text us at that number. That's pretty cool. 224-888-4335, which as you know, is geek or post it on our Facebook group. Uh, MattGeekUp.com slash Facebook will bring you to that group. So yeah, good stuff. Okay. Now moving on to Chris. Chris writes, I've come across an odd problem. I'm trying to paste a link into an email, and for some reason, using a secondary click and selecting paste has no effect. If I hit Command-V or go to the Edit menu and choose Paste, it's fine. Stranger than that, this is only in the body of an email where I can't do this. If I do the same thing in the subject line of a mail or in a different app, it works fine. Any ideas on what I could do to resurrect this functionality? Man, this might turn into a geek challenge, John. I, you know, My first thought was, let's test it in not just any other app, but an Apple app, because Apple uses their own frameworks uh, repeatedly, which they should. And third-party developers can, and in some cases arguably should, and in other cases they do, use Apple's frameworks. But to be certain you're using Apple's framework, um, my suggestion to... To, to you, Chris, is to try it in text edit. My guess is it's going to work, though, and that this is a mail-specific problem. Looking first at what plugins you have installed in mail would be, uh, would be step one. Um, and then also try booting into safe mode and see if that helps. Uh, I did try this on my own machine, uh, running in my iMac down in the office, running... El Capitan, the latest released version, and it it works as expected. So I don't know what would be getting in the way. I mean, it's not a system-wide hook that's being compromised here. And, and compromised, you know, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like there's some security issue. It's just, you know, um, it's just the right word to use. But yeah, I don't know. What do you think, John?
1: I'm baffled because as far as I know, the What's in the contextual menu and what's in the edit menu are identical. I know. You just don't get a keyboard. It just doesn't show you the keyboard shortcut in the uh, contextual menu. Correct. Huh.
0: I know. It's bizarre. And I, I just tested it here, too, to make sure that my Mac down in the office wasn't an anomaly. And, it, well, if it is, then this one is the second anomaly because it works, again, as expected. I, I you know my I guess are you running some kind of clipboard manager that might be hijacking that process and actually not putting anything on the clipboard when you're in a mail edit window I mean this is this is starting to get I certainly all the the thing I'm I'm suggesting here is possible I just can't imagine why a developer would say ah yes so we've built our handy dandy, you know, clipboard manager. And if you're not using a clipboard manager as an aside, like th- that is the, the biggest thing that changed my life with uh with using a computer is having a clipboard that remembers its own history, and I can go and pick items out of a clipboard history. I use Keyboard Maestro for it. There's a million different apps. Uh, some of them are paid. Some of them are free. Uh, It doesn't matter what app you use, but do yourself a favor and use a clipboard manager. It's so nice to be able to hit a keystroke and see the last 10 things you put on a clipboard and use your arrow keys and just say, oh, yeah, that's the one I want. Really handy. But again, so, you know, it could be a clipboard manager getting in the way. I can't imagine why. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe there's a reason, maybe there's something, whatever clipboard manager you're using has to do that in a mail body window, it's like, yeah, if we activate that way from here, who knows what results we're going to get. So let's just leave the clipboard empty there and, and, you know, hijack it when it goes in via the edit menu. And of course, command V and the edit menu is, as you pointed out, John are exactly the same thing. Um, it's just a shortcut to the edit menu. So maybe, maybe, I don't know. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm grasping at straws, but that's the only thing I can think of, even though I can't think of
1: why someone would do that. I don't Yeah. Know. I mean, I'm looking in the, no, I, don't, I don't, I mean, I was looking in the composing section of the male preferences to see if anything wacky came up there, but Nothing. Really jumps out at me, or I was thinking, you know, is the is the format of the message rich text or plain text? Because sometimes I've had where paste doesn't work as expected, and you got to do paste and match style instead. But it's but from what he said, he's just doing the plain paste, not you know paste this quote or paste and match style.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, right. There's nothing. Yeah, there's nothing special going on here. I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. Okay, uh, a tip from listener Greg because I, I thought this was a great little uh, great little story. He says, I'm emailing you from China where my wife and I are wrapping up the adoption of our son. Uh, we're heading home tomorrow and I wanted to share a problem and an apparent solution with you before we leave here. When packing for our two-week trip, I decided to leave my MacBook Air at home and travel with just my 9.7-inch iPad Pro because I figured I could get by for two weeks on just the iPad. It says I was was planning to work for at least a little bit during our trip. Uh, On our first flight, a domestic one to LAX, I started having trouble with my iPad. Every once in a while, it would freeze up and become unresponsive, always while either handling email or browsing the web. This would happen after any number of actions on my part, trying to copy a bit of text, tapping on the address bar to enter a URL or search term, trying to send an email, etc., After about 10 days, it got to the point where two to three times per day I was having to hard restart my iPad by holding down the power and home buttons until it had shut down and begun the boot process again. This was incredibly frustrating, as I'd not had any trouble with my iPad Pro in the month or so I'd had it before our trip, and my iPhone 6S Plus had been running like a champ here. I should add that force quitting apps did not solve the issue, nor did clearing the RAM Thanks for explaining how to do that, by the way, he says. And I tried each step by themselves and together at various times, just to be sure. I thought I was going to have to limp along here uh, until I could get back home and do a full restore of iOS. Doing that here wasn't an option because of the slow network speeds and the fact that I've had to use a VPN to get any meaningful work done. Then yesterday, I realized something. Every time my iPad locked up on me, the apps affected were things that relied on a persistent network connection web browsers, email clients, 1Password, etc., would all become unresponsive or freeze on launch. In the case of 1Password, I think it's because it was trying to load my vaults from Dropbox when launched. But I could get other apps to respond, like Things, my task manager of choice. Uh, it would at least let me enter text in a new to-do. So I had an idea to try one last thing here in China. I went to Settings, General, Reset, Reset Network Settings. This does a factory reset of just the network settings And that appears to have fixed the problem. It's now been over 24 hours since I did that. I've been using my iPad a lot in that time, and I haven't had one single hiccup. It looks like I might not have to do a full restore after I get back after all. The only thing I can figure is somehow somewhere in connecting to the various Wi-Fi networks I've accessed on my trip, something went screwy in my network settings that would eventually bog down my Wi-Fi access to the point where apps would become unresponsive. Very very cool Greg. This is you you're you're totally right and I've had weird problems solved by wiping out my iOS network settings using exactly that uh that path. You will lose things like your VPN profiles, which I'm sure you noticed. You will lose um some remembered uh Wi-Fi networks, although if those sync back down from iCloud then you might actually be okay. But um but yeah, the the things can get tied in knots up in the, the network settings in iOS, and there is no other way to clear those out, well, other than a full restore. But this is a handy way. It, there's a reason Apple has put this in here, and it's exactly for what you experienced. Um, so that, uh, there are other symptoms that can be alleviated by a network reset. But if you feel like you're getting weird things happening, you can't stay connected to Wi-Fi networks, those kinds of things... Um, resetting the network settings can often have a profound impact on that. I, I, I do it. I think I had to do it to one of my devices when I was out in San Francisco most, most recently, because it, it just happens, you know, it's one of those things. So any thoughts on this, John? I think Gary, I think Greg did a, a nice, a nice job here. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. I want to talk about our second set of sponsors if we're good on this one, John. We're good. All right. Power photos from Fat Cat software is one of those things that everybody needs because they fill in the gaps in Apple's photos. They do all the sort of they let you do all the things that you would need to do to manage your photos library. You can use it to manage actually multiple libraries. Uh, It's got its own photo browser. You can search through it. You can copy photos back and forth between multiple libraries, right? I mean, photos just doesn't let you do that. And that's fine because Power Photos exists. You can merge libraries together. You can split them apart if you've got, one that you want to store in one place and one you want to store in another. You can eliminate duplicates. And if you still have any iPhoto libraries, especially if you had multiple iPhoto libraries, Power Photos helps you migrate those into Photos in an automated way. And this is not a surprise because Power Photos is made, as I said, by Fat Cat Software. Well, Fat Cat, their first big hit was iPhoto Library Manager. So it only makes sense that they understand all the nuances of iPhoto and now they understand all the nuances of photos and these two pieces of software work together. And in fact, they're sold together. If you buy a license for one, you just automatically get the license for the other so you don't have to worry about it. You probably don't have a lot of stuff in iPhoto, but if you do or if you run across something that you had lingering around, well... You've got the license for iPhoto Library Manager. They're sold as a bundle. Coupon code MGG saves you 20% off of that bundle. So visit fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG and then use coupon code MGG to save off of this awesome piece of software. Our thanks to Fat Cat for sponsoring this episode. Atlassian is a name that hopefully is becoming more and more familiar to you as you listen to this episode and these shows, because Atlassian is the name that means teamwork when it comes to putting it all together. Here's the deal. Atlassian makes things like Jira, Bitbucket, HipChat, Confluence. Bitbucket is something I use all the time. It's a version control system. For your code, and it's it makes so much sense. I mean, we use it just with HTML stuff, but we also use it with other. It doesn't matter what what language you're using it with. It's so helpful if you've got really, as we mentioned in the last show, if you've got just one person, if it's just you, it's still helpful to have a version control repository because that we, that way you know what changes you made, and if you introduced a bug. You can go back and look and say, hey, wait, it didn't happen a week ago Tuesday. What have I done since a week ago Tuesday? You might not be thinking about that. Then you can kind of go through and see what changes you made. Oh, that's the problem. Jira lets you and or your users track all this stuff, right? So if you have a problem or you have a feature that you want to add or anything like that, you can log it in there and then you've got a history right there and... Of course, you can link it with Bitbucket so that you know which changes match which fixes or feature requests. It doesn't just work with Bitbucket. All of their stuff works with everything. They don't believe in silos. They know that you're already using other tools. They want to integrate happily. So they will link with all the stuff that you've already got going. And then you can kind of add more Atlassian stuff in. HipChat, fantastic, right? Communication amongst teams. If you need it, go get it. Visit Atlassian.com A T L A S S I A N dot com. Our thanks to Atlassian for being awesome at what they do and for sponsoring this episode.
2: Hi there, John, Dave, and Pilot Pete, Felix here. I have an old Mac Pro in our bedroom, and I want it to be shut down off every night when we sleep. But currently the only way I can figure out how to do this is to use the schedule in Energy Saver to have it shut down at like eight o'clock every night. But the problem is, is if the computer's asleep, it won't shut down. So what I do is I use the wake or start up um, to be five minutes before that time and then it boots up if it's not already on cuz it's not on every day and then it will shut down um then I don't you know then it's definitely shut down every night however there's got to be a better way to do this surely is there some apple script or something like that i uh, hoping you guys can tell me that there is okay thanks bye okay so uh, the
0: the first question i'm going to ask We'll address the question because it's an interesting question uh, that you have to wake up your computer in order to shut it down. It's like, you know, when they – I remember my grandmother was in the hospital once and uh, she would complain about how they woke her up every night to give her her sleeping pill. And it was like, yeah, like, yeah, okay. But you're not looking to put it back to sleep. You're looking to shut it down. So my my question is – why these computer used computers use so little power when they're asleep that the, the difference between sleep and shutdown in terms of power usage is relatively negligible. Um, it's, it's not, th- there is a difference, but it's again, relatively negligible. You may have another reason for needing this computer off, but, uh, but Apple doesn't predict that, right? Their whole concept is, well, you know, just let it sleep. So, Uh, I believe, though, that there is a way to trigger a wake-up and not a startup, and it can be done with an Apple script that uh, it can be programmed in with an Apple script is really the best way that I can say it. In looking uh, at the script, it's at itremotesolutions.wordpress.com, but it's, um, it's an Apple script that programs the power manager scripting to create a new daily trigger and it's called my wake event. So I I don't think this will start up the machine. I think it will only wake it, but you've got to experiment with it to, to find out the, the Apple script looks pretty straightforward. It's only maybe I think 10 lines, maybe 15 at the most. And there it's really well commented and it's pretty easy to read through, but you're essentially telling the power management scripting application, which is a system service to, uh, do a my wake event or create a wake event um, with the properties of a date and time, and and you can have multiple dates and and that sort of things, and then it deploys it. So I don't I don't know uh, if it'll if it'll work, but it's it's the closest I could get in looking. John, you have any thoughts on this?
1: Not really. It's an interesting. My, my, question. my things. Uh, I mean, my mini. I all. Always- Actually both my machines I, I leave asleep and they're they're very quiet.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well that's the thing is they're basically
1: off when they're asleep. But um Yeah, I hear nothing. Um I mean there are cases where machines that are asleep will wake. Yeah, like and power nap. Bad. Yeah. Bad. Well even well, you know, I don't know. I mean, yeah, so my mini, for example, I have it scheduled to do a, a time machine backup, but it's it's in another room, so it may be making some noise but it's it's far away enough um, sure
0: well and it also it needs to wake that. up if it has any services that it is sharing like a printer or file sharing it has to wake up every 108 minutes to announce itself to whatever the acting bonjour sleep proxy device on your network is which it could be your apple tv or uh, it, you know some kind of airport device and i love that it's 108 minutes by the way because when the engineers were building the whole Bonjour Sleep Proxy system, they were watching Lost and fans of the show, and so they picked 108 minutes because that's how often the people in Lost had to reset that old Apple E or whatever it was before the island <laughs> went went berserk. So,
1: no spoilers, man. I don't know.
0: I think I think I think we're I think it's okay now. Yeah.
1: Four, eight, fifteen, sixteen, twenty-three, forty-two. Remember those numbers? That's right. That's right. Yeah. So but be careful because Mister Clucks may get hit by a meteor. He might. Right? <laughs> he may. He may. That's right. Or, or that poor guy. That poor guy. <laughs> he gets a chicken place. Yeah. All right. Yeah.
0: All right. So, um, yeah, interesting question. All right, that's good stuff. Let's go. Uh, let's go to another interesting one. If we're are we done here, John? On this one,
1: I think we are. the The last thing is that um, if you do look in the so if your machine is waking up and, and pestering you and, and you're unhappy about that, you can look in the console and you typically will see uh, if you search for hmm. wake, it'll give you the reason that somebody has woken up your computer and you can look up the codes. They're kind of uh, somewhat obscure. Um, I'll wrap up with that. So that, that may help, you know, if your machine is waking up when you don't want it to, yeah. uh, you, you can often find the reason uh, buried in the console somewhere.
0: And while we're on the subject uh, before we wrap, I will point out that if you want to find out why your computer is not going to sleep, you can sometimes see that in the logs. But if you issue a, uh, go to the terminal and type PM set, which is power management settings, PM set space dash G it will show you, uh, there will be, it'll show you the power management settings that are currently in use. And next to the sleep setting will be a number. That's the number of minutes before the computer would go to sleep. And then if it, there is something that's telling the computer, no way, wait, wait, don't go to sleep. I'm busy. That will be listed in parentheses next to it. So while I'm doing this show, for example, it says sleep, And then the number 60, which is what I have it set to an hour. And then it says sleep prevented by, and I think there's eight uh, listings of core audio D because I have, I'm using core audio for a bunch of different things. The streaming for the, uh, obviously the recording of the show, the streaming of the, to the live stream at Mac slash stream. Thanks everybody for helping out. Hello. And uh, you know, and, and a bunch of other things, I think to get audio in and out of Skype for John, there's just a bunch of instances of core audio D being invoked. And so, they are all saying, yeah, while I'm in use, mm -mm, sleep ain't going to happen, which is good because otherwise, you know, having the computer, if we got into talking here and then suddenly the computer (laughs) stopped uh, being awake, that would be bad. So, um, so that's a handy way to find out. Okay. uh, Now moving on to Robert. He says, I have two unrelated questions, but uh, I think they, I think they really are related. They're just, well, they're just good geeky questions. So the first one, he says, John, I know you like to dig for investigative apps such as Wi-Fi sniffers, so here's a challenge I'm sure you're up for a darn simple app for Mac and or iOS that can display the Bluetooth version number of any device within range or plugged in USB. Of course, many items don't plug in like headphones. It would be great to have an app that would tell you or pull a Bluetooth device and give you back the specs in at least sort of plain English. Uh, he says, I did a ton of searching but came up empty, and I did try the Bluetooth Explorer app, but I didn't find it very helpful. All right. So that's uh, that's question number one, John. and uh, And then we'll ask question number two after we're done talking about this one. So what do you got?
1: I'm going to offer another app. Great. So one... You know, I was kind of scratching my head over this. So the thing is, if you look at the Bluetooth icon on your Mac, let, let, let me go back to his question here. Okay. I just want to make sure. So I think he said he was. All right.
0: Yeah, he, wa- he wants to know what, what Bluetooth version things are running. Is it, you know, 2, 3? What What is it? You know, 4? Four, 4 LE? H- how do you know?
1: Yeah, I... I mean, from what I've seen... So so first off, what's this Bluetooth Explorer thing he's talking about? Well, I'll tell you what he's talking about. So if you go to the Bluetooth menu on your Mac, yep. at least on your Mac, we won't talk iOS yet, but we will in a moment here. So on the Mac, if you just click on the Bluetooth menu, you're just going to see a pretty simple menu. It's going to say Bluetooth on or off. Sure. It'll show devices it knows about, send files, browse. If you hold down Alt, then you're going to see a whole bunch of additional stuff like the Bluetooth address, the version of Bluetooth software you're running, and now what I see, and this is kind of weird, Dave, because uh, I see different things on different machines. On my 2014, my my newer newerest machine, Yep. I see create diagnostics report on the desktop, open Bluetooth Explorer, open Bluetooth diagnostics utility, and open packet logger. Oh, boy. Uh. And Bluetooth Explorer, actually, I looked at it and I it looks to me that Bluetooth Explorer does should be able to tell you a lot of this information. There's a number of of aspects to it. I I think the most relevant, so so there's a utilities menu in Bluetooth Explorer, and I think one of those choices may lead you, uh, there's also a device discovery, which should give you some details as well. So I think you may want to, di- if that's the Bluetooth Explorer he's speaking of, and I think you may want to dig into that a little bit. And I don't know if you can, can you find it on your machine, Dave? Well,
0: you could, if you're running it, I'd actually be curious where it, where it lives. So if you're running it, right, click on it in the dock and go to options and show in finder because it does not show up for me on mine, but I did find a website and, you know, again, uh, you're all much smarter than me when it comes to this stuff, because I went and downloaded, somebody talked about using Bluetooth Explorer and they said, if you don't have it, just download it from my Dropbox, which of course I did and just launched it. Um, You know, so this is coming from who knows who, but um, but I was able to run it and then I get this, you know, devices menu and uh, I can do show device discovery and I can click on a device and choose get device info and it's getting info about my iPhone. And I'm sure not, this is not smart to do while I'm trying to record a podcast, but you know, eh, whatever. What right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's all good. So it shows me a summary of the device. It's still not showing me the Bluetooth version, but, um, and that should be buried. Oh, Cause in it's there. saying it failed. The connection to my iPhone failed. So that's, uh, that's always good.
1: So number one, I'm going to tell you, uh, so the thing is, I noticed, Dave, on my one machine, I get lots of uh, additional options in my Bluetooth menu. If I go to my 2012 machine and I click on the Bluetooth menu and hold down Alt, all I see is create diagnostic support. I don't see those other choices, including Bluetooth Explorer. Right, right. So yeah, I, I don't, that's my head. what
0: I see. Mine's a 2011 machine. This is the
1: 2011 iMac in the studio and I
0: don't see those here.
1: Now I scratch my head a bit saying, well, why does one machine have the option and one and the other not? Because as far as I know, both of these machines, well, when you hold down alt, they're reporting that they're running the same version of Bluetooth software. Okay. And as far as I know, both of these machines are running uh, Bluetooth for low energy. Okay. Hardware. Because there's certain things that you can only do with, or they call it BTLE, Bluetooth Low Energy. There's only certain things you can do, as far as I know. But so both of these machines, as far as I know, have the same, uh, pretty much the same Bluetooth hardware. Sure. But why am I seeing different software, Dave? I think I know why. Because I looked, I, I searched for Bluetooth Explorer on this machine. Yeah. And here's where it's located. Here's the folder: Developer, <sighs> Applications, Utilities, Bluetooth. Bluetooth Explorer. I don't have at Xcode one point, installed on this computer. At one point, well, the thing is, I do have Xcode installed on both of these, but I do believe at some point this was identified as, as a supplemental package. Okay. And that's why I see it on one machine and not the other. I, I, I was poking around on the developer sites. So, so, one suggestion I'd have is poke around on the, if you're not part of the developer program, come on, it's only 99 bucks, go for it. You might even be able um, to get this by joining the, with a free, um, uh, account i don't know but uh it's certainly worth trying the other piece of software that i'm going to offer dave is that there's something that i found a while ago so i looked in my bag o tricks and uh the best software I, I found that is not apple software that will tell you all sorts of fun things about bluetooth devices and perhaps the version number uh it's called light blue by punch through and they got a cool icon. It actually shows a fist about to punch you in the face or wherever. But um, they're a uh, maker, uh, from what I can see, of uh, Bluetooth uh, consulting and hardware and, and fun stuff like that. And they make this uh, available both for OS X and uh, which I've used. And I have gotten information, like for example, I set it up on one of my machines here, and it says, "Oh yeah, I can see your Apple TV, and I see your phone, and I see this. so it'll it'll scan." and query uh, your devices and list the services and things like that. Bluetooth is kind of wonky, though, because sometimes, especially the way Apple implements it, you, you may, like you saw, Dave, it, it tried to connect and it couldn't. A- Apple has done some kind of bizarre things to Bluetooth where connections and disconnections are, are kind of unpredictable. But as far as I can see, this, this uh, software, so it, it looks to be available both for OS X and uh, iOS, and what's it called light blue and it's by punch through so i'll uh, i'll list the uh, app store link and then uh you should be able to find it for the uh, uh what's going on here okay cool. uh, my phone is making noises at me even of though it's on silent but it's silent why uh, so okay so here's a couple of
0: thing couple of things um bluetooth is available bluetooth explorer from apple apple's version of bluetooth explorer it's available for free with a free developer account from Apple. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes as to where you can get it from. And it's part of the hardware IO tools for Xcode right now. It's called the hardware IO tools, tools for Xcode 73, which was released on March 20th of uh, this year, 2016. Um, so they, that, there's that, and that's a much safer way to get it than what I did here. Uh, so, you know, there's that. Uh there is, however, another app called Bluetooth Explorer in the app store, the Mac App Store. It's four four bucks, three ninety-nine uh US. And uh and but it's from uh, maruko.com, com, M-E-R-U-K-O. And that would be the other place to uh to look. So It's, uh, but in looking at, and I don't know which app uh, Robert had used, which of these, these two apps Robert had used, but um, I'll, I'll put a link to this Bluetooth Explorer in there. It doesn't look from the screenshots though, like it, um, like it's going to give you this information. I don't know. It's, it's crazy. So all kinds of stuff, John, all kinds of stuff. It's fun though. And we'll put a you link think? to light blue. Yeah, yeah. yeah, So yeah. Fun. Did you find anything? And you said this does exist for iOS too. this light blue thing
1: or no. Yes. Ah, okay. I did a search and yeah, actually when I went to their webs, so I had to, uh, I found both on their website. They, uh, they have a link. Um, sure. And I'll, uh, I'll, I'll find that in a moment here. Cool. 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 All right. Uh, and then
0: Robert, of course, uh, in good fashion, has a second question. He says, "Dave, I don't mean to date you. That's fine." Uh, he says, "You're married already. Man, I'm married. Yeah. That's right. Yeah." Uh, but back in the day, Res Edit was the best. What I used to do and would like to do again is to add menu keyboard shortcuts, like put Command Q for those simple little apps that don't have it. Is there such an app for today's resource forkless apps? So for those of you who don't know, which is probably most, uh, Mac apps used to really rely on two sets of um, of data that was that were baked into the app. One was the the sort of the data portion of it, the code and that sort of thing. And then there was the resource fork that's all sort of handled differently now because it's all packages, but it's the same concept. We had all the icons and and things like that. And these were all resources. And so the apps, uh, uh, Mac apps were a two-piece thing, which made transferring them uh, around interesting. And people had to write, you know, like bin hex compression or not compression. But uh, anyway, doesn't matter. There was a great program from Apple called ResEdit uh, for editing the resource fork. Maybe it should have been called ResEdit because it's for editing the resource fork. R-E-S-E-D-I-T, and it would let you do just that. But in the resource fork is where people would build their menus. And so you could go and edit the resource fork and add command keys to any menu item you wanted. I feel like I'm, I'm missing something easy here because I feel like this is relatively doable on OS X. Have you been able to do this, John? Um... Maybe I'm just thinking of apps. I know, like BB Edit, lets me, you know, monkey with that stuff. But but that might just be an app specific thing. I don't know. Maybe not. I guess I guess I guess maybe it's. Uh, I well, no, actually, yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. I, I knew I'm missing something. So, if you go into System Preferences, Keyboard. Um, shortcuts, you can go into app shortcuts and in here you can add and pick an application and you'll see every application on your Mac, right? And then type in the menu title name. So for, for yours, it might just be quit, right, Robert, but you type in the, the, whatever the, the menu item is called and it has to be exact. And then you can enter a keyboard shortcut for that. And you can do it for all apps or you can make it application specific. So when I'm in this app, I do this and that's where you do it. Um, I don't know why it took me. I, I've been sitting on this question for a week, like thinking, but anyway, pressure is good. So yeah, where is it <laughs> Syst- system preferences.
1: Yeah.
0: Keyboard, keyboard shortcuts tab. Right. And then at the bottom of that list is oh, app oh, right. shortcuts. Okay.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, and there's just one default there. There's now. one default what for it? show help
0: menu and it's shift command slash uh, shift command.
1: Okay, you're uh, now it's coming back to me. Yeah. yeah, I remember I think they've moved this around. It used to be in another place. It used to be in a in the keyboard area. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've uh, Yeah, as you said, you got to be exact and uh yeah. I think you can even change existing ones if if you're in that. Sort I of I think thing. you can. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean again, you know,
0: uh, there might not be a reason to, but yep. Yeah. Application. Oh, look at yeah. Okay. Yep. It's, it,
1: it's coming back to me. Yeah. All applications or specific application menu, title, keyboard shortcut. Hooray.
0: Yeah. Sweet. All right. For the win. That's great. We should write that up at TMO as a tip because I bet most people have no idea that it's there. I even,
1: I, I, like I it said, may, it may already be there. I wonder if one of our writers has done it in the past. That's possible.
0: So, yeah, 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 exactly. Well, if we have, we should, um, we should you know re-highlight it i'll say
1: yeah yeah yeah. link to it in the lovingly handcrafted yeah show notes yeah 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 sweet all right good i Fine. like it i miss rest at it, it so much yeah it was
0: it. fun those were fun days yeah 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 that was you know fun just being a kid and experimenting with um uh, you know with computers and doing doing crazy stuff
1: well, I remember the, the what I like to do is uh, sometimes you would find hidden graphics within uh within yeah. an app, yeah. And you can still do it now, though I think you really need, um, yeah, like Xcode or, or something. Or actually, I got to I'm um, going to revisit some of those investigative tools.
0: Cool, cool, yeah, fun stuff, man. I like it. That's um, it's good. This is this is why we, well, it's why we do this show, right? Because we um. I don't know because we like we like playing with that stuff. Awesome! Thank you, everybody, for your questions today, and uh, again, thanks to everybody in the chat room for your help with uh, keeping us on track and also f- helping flush out the show notes and all of that good stuff. It has yeah, been, uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, as I said at the beginning, we will the next two episodes we will be recording later this week, but they will come out on Sundays. Um, i think we'll have enough material to do an episode for the 10th but but if we finish the episode that we're doing for the third and we decide to punt on the 10th i'm hoping that we would have your forgiveness for skipping a week but um i i don't know we gotta just see how it goes this week's gonna be sort of crazy for me and and i you know doing two shows back to back might be a little nuts i don't know we'll see what happens uh, we already told you how to get in touch with us so I want to uh, now that I've thanked all of you I want to thank our premium listeners the ones that uh, that we included in the show I want to thank all of you uh, com is where you find that I also want to tell you tonight uh, we are planning to roll to a new content management system uh, so that Uh-oh. will be we're moving away from Expression Engine into WordPress <gasps> and so the uh, the subscription thing will be different And if you have any issues with managing your premium subscription, uh, just let us know, you know, and we'll, we'll help you out uh, and and we'll take care of it. So uh, hopefully all that'll go smoothly and that's what we'll be using. So uh, let's see, what else do we have? Oh yeah. Premium listeners in this episode included Sam, Gary, and Chris. Oh, and Robert. Robert's great questions were from Robert, premium listener Robert. So thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. And uh, Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com is the company that provides all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. The Podcast Marketplace, which includes our sponsors from today's show, of course, and that's uh, SeatGeek where a coupon code MGG saves you 20 bucks. Squarespace, you get 10% off with coupon code MGG. Power Photos, coupon code MGG saves you 20%. Atlassian, dot com. Gazelle at gazelle.com. Smile at smilesoftware.com slash geek. Otherworld Computing at maxsales.com. Barebones Software at barebones.com. And Casper at casper.com, where MGG saves you 20 bucks. Uh, sorry, 50 bucks. I'm, I'm in 20 mode. MGG saves you 50 bucks at at Casper.com. Fun. Have a good week. It'll be a short week for us, at least in terms of between when we record this one and when we record the next one. But for you, it'll be a normal length week of the seven-day variety. Be careful. And don't get
2: caught. Made up.